0: Welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth. Our podcast focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people here at Eros and across the globe who use remote sensing to monitor and study the health of Earth. I'm your host, Steve Young. Just recently, in mid-July, the flight operations team charged with keeping the Landsat 7 satellite running smoothly achieved a major milestone. They have gone eight straight years now without an operator error. Think about that. When you're operating a machine that costs hundreds of millions of dollars and flies at more than 17,000 miles per hour, avoiding any kind of operator error for eight years is a reason to celebrate. Here to discuss all that is Guy Thayer with the Aerospace Corporation. Guy is the Landsat 7 flight systems manager who with his flight operations team keeps track of Landsat 7 for the U.S. Geological Survey. Thanks for joining us, Guy. Nice to be here. Let's start off by talking about eight straight years of no operator errors flying Landsat 7. Tell us why that's a big deal.
1: Well, it's, it's a really big deal because uh, operator errors are, are pretty easy to make. So having this amount of time go by and this many activities happen and not having error is, is a truly large achievement.
0: I have this image of people sitting at a console moving around joysticks to maneuver this multi-million dollar machine through space. Is that how it works? uh no <laughs> well it's
1: mostly done through files and commands that we send but those files have to be created and when we're talking about errors that's a place where we could easily make an error so no they're, they're not a joystick it is funny that you mentioned that though because if you look at some of the pictures from the mock you'll see one sitting on the decks that we uh we use for tours just to just for laughs
0: when you talk about files i mean you send up hundreds or thousands of commands every day The
1: long and the short end of it is we we set up two different uh, loads, we call them, command loads, every day, 365 days a year. One tells the satellite what to do and when to do it. And the other one is the ephemeris load that tells it where it's going to be during that period of time. The operators have to go in, create that load every morning, and then throughout the day they observe the satellite and make sure that it's operating from that command load, making sure it's doing what it's supposed to be doing.
0: Does operating Landsat simply mean keeping it in its orbit, or what else do these operators have to do to keep it performing the way it should?
1: Obviously, keeping it in its orbit is a big part of the job. Typically, we would have to send commands to raise the orbit of the spacecraft as it encounters drag, but lately we haven't had to do very much of that in the last couple of years. The bigger work is the everyday work of creating those loads and and putting them up on the spacecraft. The main part of the job, is reviewing the information we get from the spacecraft and making sure that it's healthy.
0: And by healthy, you mean, for example, give us some examples of what kind of health concerns a satellite would have.
1: Power is a big deal to us, obviously. We have to generate and store power so we can operate the spacecraft. So we need to closely monitor the output of the solar array and the health of the batteries that we can monitor by watching the temperature and the pressure of the batteries. We look at the attitude of the spacecraft to make sure that it's working within specifications. And we look at, for example, temperatures of gyros and how much how much power they're drawing to make sure that they're working properly. You know, unlike, you know, say your car, for instance, you can hear squeals and knocks and what have you, right? But with the spacecraft, we have to ascertain what's going on by looking at telemetry, by looking at data points.
0: So how many people does it take to operate a satellite? And do they, they all do the same thing, or do they have different roles?
1: Actually, we have several different roles throughout the uh, Mission Operations Center. So up in the front, we have our, our flight dynamicist. He figures out where we've been, calculates where we've been based on the information he receives from the downlink sites throughout the world. He builds a file which uh, tells us where we're going to be in the future, which is very important so that we know when to acquire the satellite as it's uh, coming within range of the satellite dish on Earth. And it also tells the satellite where, and, when and where to point the instrument and where to turn the downlink capability on the, the, the radios on to uh, beam that information back down to Earth. He builds that file and gives it to the daily planner he needs to build the file that tells the instrument when to turn on and off and other housekeeping things. Then we have two people, which are the command controller and the spacecraft analyst, the CC and the SA. That's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Those are the people who actually initiate those command loads, send them up, and then they watch for eight hours a day. They're the people in charge of making sure that the spacecraft is safe by looking at the telemetry as it comes down in real time. So also, if we need to send other commands, those are the people who are actually, again, touching the keyboard to send commands directly to the spacecraft. Beyond that, we have what are sometimes referred to as the offline engineers, but the spacecraft engineers in the back look at long-term and short-term trends and create the long-term plans for the spacecraft. Uh, We've also got a couple layers of management, as well as we have some IT folks, because after all, this is a, a... a bunch of computers talking to a computer in space. And so we have two IC- IT specialists, and then, of course, me. So, all told, we have about 14 people. We'll have anywhere between two to four people operating the spacecraft every day. Everybody else has been working from home. We do have capability that was developed by this team. We call it Lights Out Capability. The acronym is called LUFA and it operates the spacecraft or, or monitors the spacecraft when we go home in the afternoon until we get there in the morning.
0: Tell me, in operating a satellite, what are the major challenges you face in doing that with Landsat 7? I mean, what kind of challenges come up that really require your attention? It is an older satellite.
1: Most things that break tend to break early, so we've kind of settled into a rhythm. So what are the actual challenges? Challenges are the regular challenges, that every satellite operator faces. I don't wanna call it monotony, but it is uh, maintaining focus uh, on keeping the thing running, doing many similar things every day. Uh, So complacency is actually one of the challenges that you have. Uh, We've been very, very lucky, knocking on wood, that we haven't had very many uh, major challenges in the last several years. I mean, the solar array slowly degrades. In our case, our angle to the sun is slipping based on the fact that we are no longer doing inclination maneuvers to maintain our inclination because we don't have enough fuel to do so. So that is a challenge trying to figure out going forward if we're going to be able to generate enough power. So other than that, it's, it's just making sure that nothing hits the spacecraft and uh, staying on top of all those telemetry points we talked about earlier.
0: And you know, How often do you have to worry about something hitting the spacecraft? Not very often right
1: now. You remember I mentioned a little while ago about the fact that the drag environment is fairly benign right now? So as it happens, when the drag environment, and it is cyclical, when it's higher, things are falling through our orbit on a more regular basis. We've only had to perform a few risk mitigation maneuvers on Landsat 7, and we we haven't performed one, I think, in about a year and a half.
0: If you get an alarm and a light goes off or something that would suggest that there's an issue going on, how long do you have to figure that out before it becomes a major problem?
1: That is a big, it depends question. What the issue is will determine how long we have to react. For example, let's say uh, the satellite went into safold, which by the way, knocking on wood again, we've never done. It is safe and it is stable. We can sit there almost indefinitely and not have to work too quickly, which would make us happy because we don't like to do anything quickly. But if there, you know, if there are other things. For example, if if the solar array were were caught in the in the wrong angle and, and were stuck, you know, we would have to act very quickly within a couple of hours to start getting that thing fixed.
0: You've been fairly fortunate, it sounds like, over the last eight years. Does that mean you don't have moments that get your blood pumping? Oh, we absolutely do. Uh, in the last eight years, we've had a couple of different things happen.
1: For example, we had a a clock generator. It's it's an esoteric piece of equipment that meters the clock output. Now, again, it's an esoteric piece of equipment. We never think of it. It's buried in there. It's not something we can command. And one day, it just kind of switched from the primary piece of equipment to the redundant piece of equipment. And for the life of us, we never could figure out, even though we had uh, some subject matter experts dive into it, never could quite figure out why. And that's jarring, Okay. When something like that happens and you don't know why it happened, that gets your blood going because then you start worrying about the cascading effect of, well, what if this? What if that? And and if you don't know what caused something to happen, it makes you very nervous about what's happening with the spacecraft. But other than that, we've been pretty darn lucky. There's a couple of what we'll call fairly routine anomalies, things that we've seen before that we know how to fix. Uh, But other than that, we've been very lucky in in the last eight years.
0: You've got enough experience on that team that it sounds to me like it doesn't very often happen that an anomaly occurs that baffles you. You, You've got enough experience to know what the problems are 99% of the time, 100% of the time? Darn near all the time. You mentioned
1: experience, and that's one of the reasons why we've been able to have this eight-year streak happen. Three of the people that we've got on the team have been here since prior to launch. Who have been here since uh, like four years before launch. Our lead engineer, then we hired four others in the first year of operation. So we've got seven people who have been here for 20 years, which is just amazing. Uh, there, there's one story I like to tell about that tells you a lot about the team and the experience. So we had an anomaly uh, in the middle of the afternoon on a weekend. Lead engineer got the call. He's on the softball field, no, soccer field, with his watching his daughter play. So they read off to him the mnemonic. They said, hey, we're getting this crazy thing and we don't know what it is. He said, I'll be right there. In like about, I don't know, half an hour, he was in the office. He walked right to his cubicle, pulled a piece of paper off of the wall and pointed to it and said, this is what it is. <laughs> and that was, uh, I believe that was the clock gen. It does. It, it takes quite a bit to rattle this
0: crew. And if that gentleman hadn't been around, hadn't been available, you might have panicked. That's right. And, and even more amazing is, he hadn't opened. He he hadn't looked
1: at that piece of paper probably since launch. <laughs> but he knew that someday he may
0: need it, and it was right at hand. Tell me, guy, just just briefly, the people that work on a flight operations team. I take it they're not like me. They're not former journalists. They're not math majors. I mean, what's the educational background of somebody that's going to operate satellites?
1: Well, actually, we have had math majors. Math majors and physicists make, make fine engineers, <laughs> but most of them are astro-aero engineers. A lot of people in the space business tend to be electrical engineers. So that, that, that's generally the makeup, is astro-aero-astro uh, engineers and electrical engineers. I mean, in my experience, folks that I've worked with over
0: the years. Let me ask you finally, um, have you ever heard of operator errors that have occurred with other satellite systems? Well,
1: let me tell you about one. It was easy for me to remember because it was my first day representing uh, USGS uh, with Landsat 5, actually. It was literally my first day on the job. Uh, The command load for that was a two-part command load. You would send up what you want the spacecraft to do, and then you would have to send up another file uh, that told the spacecraft when to perform those things. The dilemma was the operator somehow mistakenly sent up two of the command file without the timestamp file. Now, normally that wouldn't cause any problem at all, right? It would be gobbledygook. It it wouldn't make any sense to the spacecraft, but it just so happens that the the satellite gods were not smiling on us that day. And one of the commands that correlated with the command load, the satellite read it as an actual command. The next time that the spacecraft came in, was supposed to come in contact with the ground system, uh, we didn't get contact. (laughs) <laughs> and if you wanted to know what gets your blood going, what gets your blood pumping, that's what'll get your your blood going. Is 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 when it comes over the hill and you don't see it. We figured it out quickly, thank goodness, and we got things right within a within a day. But uh, yeah, that that's that's how easy it can go downhill quick.
0: I would imagine that if uh, you hadn't figured it out quickly and a and satellite would have been lost, uh, you might have gone into the restaurant business. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that that first day might have been my last day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Thankfully, okay. thankfully, it's worked out. That was in uh, 2011, so uh, it's worked out okay so far.
0: We've been talking to Guy Thayer, the flight systems manager for Landsat 7, about his team's recent achievement of going eight straight years without an operator error when it comes to flying that important satellite system. Thank you very
1: much. We're very, very proud of the team we've got.
0: We hope you come back for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. This podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey, Department of the Interior. Thanks for joining us.